This is Dead Stick Radio, Episode 5, recorded June 9, 2019. Buying an experimental aircraft for primary training. This is uh, Dead Stick Radio. I'm Brian Murray. I'm Scott Holmes. And today we're interviewing uh, Calvin here from... He's my partner in the Kit Fox <laughs> and a brand new pilot. And he's, uh, he's starting aviation in a different way than a lot of us have. So Scott, uh, Scott started aviation doing uh, air cadets. Yeah. And I started doing uh, aviation uh, through the gen- general flight school. Whereas Calvin here has decided to... Just uh, buy a plane and go for it. <laughs> Before he even flew a small airplane. His very first small airplane ride was in the airplane he now owns. <laughs> Which is a very bold move. Very bold move. So what kind of plane did you, guy, did you actually decide on? Uh, it's a Kit Fox 5. Well, let, let, let's back up a bit first. So, Calvin's my neighbor, was my neighbor, in my condo building. And uh, I met him at a barbecue, him and his girlfriend. And uh, he said, I'm, man, I'm doing ground school too. And I said, oh, I'm a pilot too. And so we started talking a little bit. We kind of stayed in touch. He moved away after that. Found a house, and so they have a, their dog has a place to run around. And uh, we just kind of stayed in touch. And then I said, well, I'm kind of interested in a kit flocks, looking for a two-seater to buy. He said, man, me too. I want to learn to fly. So we started talking. And uh, so he got real into it, into kit foxes. And so we, uh, we, we found one. Um, Bruce Goodwin from Sundry got in touch with me. said, hey, I got one for you if you want. I had, to, I had an ad up on Barnstormers looking for one. So in case nobody knows, kit foxes are impossible to buy right now. Um, they're really hot. And they're very hard to find a good quality airplane for a reasonable price. And Bruce's came for sale, and he offered it to me for what was fairly reasonable. I said, well, Calvin, what do you think? And he said, well, don't know much about them, but I'm interested. And so we drove down, right? Yeah. And I was kind of like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, so we got there, and the airplane, uh, no, I think I went down with my dad first to look at it. And the airplane was in Bruce's barn. He used to have cows at his farm in Sundry. And he actually has Goodwin's Field. It's on the, it's on the map uh, just south of the Sundry Airport. Uh, so we went down there and looked at it in the wintertime. It was freezing cold. Uh, did a pre-buy on it. Just looked around and said, you know, it's kind of, I think it's like November or so, right before I went to China for that race. And uh, so we looked at it thought, yeah, it's okay. So I uh, talked to Calvin about it. I said, well, what do you think of this thing? We should go look at it again. So we, we went down in, what, February? Yeah. So and had you had you been looking at planes before this or online? Was, but had you ever actually walked up and seen a plane? Had you ever figured out how to uh, how to actually pre-buy one? What? No, I had no idea. Literally no idea. So just just walked into a random barn that Scott said, "Hey, why don't you follow me in a car and we'll go into the barn down here and uh, and take a look at this airplane." Yeah. yeah. So Calvin drove. We got to Bruce's place the second time. And then Bruce opened the door and, well, Calvin had seen Trent Palmer's YouTube videos, just like the rest of the world has. He walked up to this Kit Fox, which was like white and red, much lower than, than Trent's, didn't have bush gear on it. was like, I think his first comment was, man, that's so small. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, we uh, fold the wings up and put it in the hangar and did a proper pre-buy on it. I think Brad McDonald came out that day. Yeah. Put it back together and I think we did a test flight each. And yep. then Bruce did your very first small airplane ride. Yep, and it was terrifying. What What was it like? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is we were taking off on grass, which A, I'd never been in a small plane, B, never been on grass, so it was eye-opening, to say the least, but a lot of fun. What did you think on takeoff? What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> did you get sick? No, not on that one. Well, it was only like 10 minutes, right? Yeah, and he kind of kept it level. 
He knew it was my first time. And how was the landing? Bumpy. <laughs> scared the crap out of me. Yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, I did a little bit of flying with Bruce too. We went for gas, um, just flew around a little bit and said, yeah, airplane flies straight. Uh, and then I think we left, right? And then thought about it for a bit. Yeah, it was probably two weeks. Yeah, made the decision, off, made an offer. Bruce took it and then we went down... Well, actually, it was a long time later. It was later. a month later. I went down at least, like, probably six weeks later to pick it up because the weather was, like, minus 35. Yeah. I think that day I picked it up, it was, like, minus, uh, it was, like, minus 10 in sundry. And we still had to preheat it, so I bought this preheater from Home Depot and ducted it up with duct tape and blew hot air in the cowling. And Bruce had the, the oil pan heater plugged in all night. And uh, we got it up, like, maybe, like, 5 degrees, 10 degrees C in the, under the cowling, and the engine block was warm, too. Uh, so we said, okay, well, it's time to fire it up. We like, we had that thing on heat for three, four hours at home. It was like minus 25 and, and a little bit windy. Like, I don't know, 10 gusting 15 at home and minus 25. So I just jumped in it, fired it up, waited like, uh, I probably waited a long time, probably 20 minutes for it to warm up properly. Uh, ran down the runway, said a prayer and put it on, put on the power, took off, did two circles overhead the field. Everything was smooth. I'd, I was getting used to the airplane. The first thing I thought was, man, this thing's going to take forever to get home. <laughs> so I spent, I think, two hours flying at home from Sundry. It was a long flight at minus 20. And uh, what I learned was there was these big open holes under the, the lower cowling that was blowing cold air up in between my feet. The heater was blowing hot air up above the instrument panel. So my feet were getting really cold real fast. Like I've never had feet that cold ever, and I've lived in Canada for 25 years, 29 years. And so uh, two hours later, as I'm getting closer to uh, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain area, I realized that one tank is almost empty, has like two gallons left, and the other tank's like two-thirds full, and I thought, oh, God, this thing's not feeding properly. And so I thought, man, if this thing has two gallons left, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Villeneuve. So I started like flying crooked the other direction because I had my feet off the rudder pedals and, and the airplane doesn't fly quite straight. Uh, got uh, made it back to Villeneuve, landed, couldn't feel my feet at all. Uh, and then that was it. So then uh, Calvin comes in, showed him, texted him a picture. Calvin comes in the next day and sees the airplane, and I think he's in heaven at that point. Yeah. So what uh, what kind of cruise? It took you two hours to get up from Sundry. What kind of cruise is that at? Uh, maybe. What what are we cruise? By about ninety ninety five or so. It has O two thirty five, so it's a pretty powerful Kit Fox. But uh, it depends on on what um, pitch the prop is set at. So we've got one of those adjustable whirlwind props, those adjustable pitch props. So if you make the pitch really fine, you get better stall performance, short takeoff performance. But then you you max out the RPM real fast, and that prop has a really hard red line of 2700. So it uh, that I think it was set more fine than we have it now. Yeah. So we have it now where if you leave it wide open, you hit the red line, but almost right at the top end of the cruise speed, which is about 100 or so. And we could be misrigged and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. But we're showing about 100 now. So it was painful compared to my Cassett. Jeez. By far the most scary thing was my Cassett was the only airplane I'd flown in like two, three years. Like really. And I've flown an extra and stuff too, which is pretty similar to a Cassett. But uh, on landing, I had no idea if it was going to work out or not. Now, I actually had a pretty good one. Way better than the other landings I've had. Did you, did you bounce it? <laughs> well, Bruce said he could never land the airplane without bouncing. And Calvin's landing with Bruce was so bouncy. So bad. Mine was bouncy. Bruce said, I just can't land this thing. And I thought, man, I got this. So I landed, actually had a pretty good one, but after that, oh man, me too, I can't stop bouncing. It's at least three landings to get that kid folks on the ground. So 
I totally understand why those uh, Shock Monster uh, bush landing gears is uh, good with the dampening. Because the, the way it is now with that spring aluminum gear is so hard to land. Yeah, like, I can attest to that. I took a ride with you a couple times there and yeah. bouncing down the runway. <laughs> it's the hardest airplane to land in the way it is. So, uh, Anyways, so so that was our, our your first time. So we did the annual then, right? Well, yeah, and that took way longer than I expected. Yeah, we did a lot. So what, what exactly did you have to do in the annual? Well, we tore it down to basically nothing, and I had no experience in this industry, and I could not believe how thorough that Scott was being. Yeah, we we went uh, we were quite far into it, like looking at spark plugs and all the normal things you do in an annual. But he's like he's Calvin's coming out of the car world, right? Like he knows he knows how to change oil in his car and change the tires and stuff. But that's nothing to do with airplanes. So, right. so we were like changing wing bolts. And... <laughs> so Calvin, you're you're an engineer by trade. Yep, mining engineer. Mining engineer. Yeah. So not quite a mechanical engineer. Nope. But uh, but same type of stuff. Yeah. So it uh, obviously this is a. Have you ever actually taken apart an engine like this or, you know, just regular car maintenance? Um, I can do anything pretty much on a car, but that did not translate to what we did to that Kit Fox. So what kind of, how is it different? How is maintaining that Kit Fox different than, uh, than a car, for example? Well, on a car, you're staying on the ground, so you're not so picky, whereas Scott is the pickiest person I've ever met. And well, you got to follow the standards. <laughs> which now I know what the standards are. I just, it's all new to me. Yeah. I'm just by the book. Yeah, got to have the right uh, right amount of threads coming out that castle nut. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah right? it's all got to be in safety, and yeah. you learn that word fairly fairly early on. What is safety? Yeah, who knew that to do a cotter pin was a very specific way. <laughs> yeah, we learned that today, right? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. We yeah, I had him. I had him. For those that know cotter pins, I had him doubling the long tail back around into the next valley, and then putting the uh, torque seal on it, so that uh, there's no sharp edges, which is kind of overkill a lot of people don't do that but it's the it's the clean way to do it so he's he's learning right <laughs> yeah and uh what what else did you to do in the engine for the annual obviously uh the annual you're doing it yourself as opposed to a mechanic doing it for you well talk, we talk them through the list a bit yeah i wish i remembered what the full list was but well we did let's see the fuel line, we had to put AN fittings and a proper aluminum tubing in the fuel line. Right, because that one was rubber. Yeah, we checked the gascalator, changed the oil, changed the oil filter, which was probably your favorite job. Um, by the way, the, the oil filter on the back of O235 sticks out the back, and the firewall's in the way. And in the kit box, it's, it's, it's set into this big firewall cavity, so you can't even get at it with a torque wrench. So it's virtually impossible not to make a mess. So Calvin learned that one the hard way. Yeah, that was gross. Uh, we what else did we do? We took the prop off, inspected it, waxed it, uh, repitched it, put it back on, retorqued it. What else? Changed the wing bolts because they were getting a little uh, beat up. Oh, that was a fun day. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we took both wing bolts off and had a hell of a time getting the rear ones back in. Um, that was terrible. Uh, what else did we do? Uh, what else did we change? Did we do any? Well, we took the C-pen out and completely carbon fibered it. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the C-pen had a bunch of cracking in it. So apparently if you have a hard landing, it cracks the C-pen. So ours had been cracked and kind of repaired, but it really neat. It had about three more cracks in it. And so we, we built these carbon fiber uh, reinforcements that go in and clear coated them, and they bond onto the top of the C-pen. And then they cover it up so when the seat cushions are in, all you see is the carbon, and it looks really nice. Yeah. What else did we do? Oh, I know what we did. We, we moved the compass from uh, above the instrument panel into the panel, into one of the two open three and an eighth holes. Way cleaner. Yep. With carbon fiber um, inserts. Uh, inserts to go from three and an eighth to two and a quarter. 
Uh, what else did you learn? Oh, yeah, we did the wheel packs, oh. the wheel bearing packs. <laughs> that was gross, too. Yeah, he was covered in grease for those. Yeah. What else did we do? Uh, we greased and cleaned the tailwheel. We basically lubed everything. What else did we do? That was about it, but the next step that I'm excited to do is to do the the plexi doors. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of where we stopped for the annual, and then you started flying it a bit, right? Yeah. So your first flight was with me when it was like, what, late February? No, no, it was like March when we were done the annual. Because it was like minus 20, no, the, uh, oh yeah, the first flight I took you on was before we started the yeah, annual. Yeah, and you took Katie up too. That's right, what did you think of that? Well, it was fun. Again, when you landed, you bounced, and now I know that bounce is normal, but at that time, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is it. What was flying it like, though? Because you were all frosted up and freezing cold. Yeah, that wasn't a really good time to go out, because it was so cold outside, and you have two men in the front seat, so all the windows were fogging up, and it just, it was fun to go out, but it was yeah, it kind too of sucked, cold. Yeah, kind of sucked, didn't it? Yeah. It's uh, the plane's a bit cozy in it too, isn't it? You get yeah. a little bit close to each other. Yeah, oh yeah. And we had like winter jackets on and everything. Well, my buddy asked if he could come up, and he's three fifty, six foot five or six foot four, and I was like, I don't think you're gonna fit. Maybe with the bubble doors on, we might get him in. Yeah, we just get a little bit more shoulder room. Yep. So but, then, then we get the annual done, and then we start flying. Yeah. When did you fly with me? Oh yeah, we just went out up north, I think, and just flew around a bit. Yeah, we just went for like forty five minutes. Yeah. And that was normal, um, except I didn't know how to use a trim, so I was all over the place. Couldn't keep it level. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's true. So he, so starting brand new, so I flew with Kelvin, I think, first and second. Like, you'd never flown with Jody at that point? I still haven't flown with Jody. Oh, that's right. We've, so, been, up, we've been up four or five times. That's right. That's right. So what, what I noticed with him was when he first started flying, it was very interesting to me because he was over-controlling and chasing, PIOing, in both roll and pitch. And so it looked kind of like on Top Gun, you know, the scene with Cougar coming in on landing right at the beginning of the movie? That's kind of what Calvin was doing. And I did not expect that at all. I've never taught anybody to fly. And uh, so it, it, it took a while. I think he was just too busy, and, and he was having trouble figuring out when to start and stop and that there's inertia in the system. And so it took probably two or three flights to get that under control and stopped. And so on the last flight, I took uh, I took control of the throttle from him. So he just had to worry about the stick and the rudder. And he figured it out perfect. Yeah. He could do approaches, descents, climbs, turns, straight and level, all that. No problem as soon as I took the throttle away. No more PIO. So that was uh, that was an interesting lesson for me, Yeah. I think. Me too. There was too much going on before and then I figured it out. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So speaking of that, what is what's exactly your training plan on this? Uh, obviously, in a club environment, you just go out and rent a plane, and they have instructors there. But how are you dealing with that, with it being that you own your own plane? Well, we're kind of lucky in that Scott's friend Jody has her instructor rating. And whenever she's free, the plan is to go up, and I don't have to fight with someone for plane availability because it's my plane, so it's always available. <laughs> so that's nice. Worst case, you got to kick Scott out. Yeah. Now, how, uh, you obviously haven't been up with Jody yet, so what's, uh, what's keeping you from, from getting up there? Um, her availability, my availability, um, the fact that it's an experimental plane and we keep having to fix it. <laughs> so what's, what's keeping the plane on the ground right now? I don't know what those, those valves are called. Just it's, it's the low point drain valves for the fuel tanks. So one of them started leaking after our last flight, so now we have to order a new one. So the, okay, so the gasket was burned up, we think. Yeah. But either way, it was dripping. It was dripping and making a huge mess on the ground in the hangar. 
So we drained the tanks out, pulled the, the valve out, took it apart and looked at the, the gasket, it looked okay. So then... When I uh, tried to put it back together, it went into four or five different pieces and Scott and I spent 45 minutes on our hands and knees trying to find the pieces and we couldn't find it. We put the snap ring back in, but it didn't go all the way to the detent. So he tried it the first time, okay, it worked fine. Try it the second time, no problem. Third time, he points the drain valve out the door, the open door, pushes it again, and shoots the snap ring and the washer out the top of the drain valve, out the door, while there's a helicopter running next door. And so, all these parts, the, the snap ring's like a quarter inch diameter, by the way. And it, so we were on our hands and knees looking for it, we never did find it. So now you have to order a new one, which arrives probably mid this week. Hopefully. <laughs> Why don't we, um, let's talk a little bit about your time flying with Josh. So, Josh, text me and says you want to go flying well, well let's first let's first who is josh oh yeah so josh esser uh, built a black and green kit fox um uh in ontario trailer here when he got a job with uh, nav canada out of the edmonton fic i think um i actually don't know where he works right I, th- I think he's he's high altitude but anyways so he built this really cool black and green um badass bush plane kit fox and uh, he's just been flying it it's been flying for about a year now but he texted me one night and said, you want to go flying? And Calvin texted me as well and said, hey, dude, you want to go flying? And I thought, okay, this is perfect. So we uh, we met up at the hangar and then what? So we took off, obviously, and we are flying. And the one thing that I've really wanted to do since purchasing this, the Kit Fox is to fly with the doors open. So, you know, slowly open the door. And it's the second scariest thing I've ever done next to flying with Bruce. And, um, well, you also opened the door with Josh in formation out the right side. <laughs> yeah, so we were able to see in how close he was, and man, is that a surreal feeling. Calvin opens the door. He opens it slowly, and it starts to get windy, and he kind of relaxed out the door a little bit. And we were like 600 feet over some farmhouse. Yeah. Oh. And he goes, man, I'm shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like all windy, and it was funny. So anyways, then we decided to follow him down into an area where he always likes to fly that follows a very windy river. North Saskatchewan. And I don't know how you described it. It was in North Saskatchewan. But like... Oh yeah, we were yanking and banking like crazy to follow the river. I had it wide open at like like 30 feet off the river. And we were down in the river valley and it was like gusting 15 that day. So all the mechanical turbulence coming off the valley was crazy bumpy. And uh, so I, I was just following the river, like pulling hard here and there, rolling left, right, following the river. It's forgetting that I've river. never really been in a small plane. Oh, yeah. Well, you had, you had like three flights at that point. But he was like, it was kind of hot in there. And so I rolled hard left and pushed a little bit too because of some turbulence. And he went, oh, dude, don't do that. It's enough of that. Yeah. And then, then like five minutes later, he starts getting quieter and quieter. <laughs> He's like, dude, I'm getting sick. I was like, okay, one couple more turns. He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so I do a couple more turns. And he's like, dude, we got to cancel this. We got to go. So I called Josh in the radio, who's in formation with us still on my wing. I said, dude, we got to go. So we bailed out of that river valley, started heading home. And he's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> that was the longest 10-minute flight back to the airport. <laughs> he's like so sweaty. I was like, dude, open the door, concentrate on something else. I was like, wait, if he pukes out the door, it's going to like paint down the side of the airplane. <laughs> If he pukes in the airplane, I'm going to end up wearing the splashing. So I was like, I don't know what to do. And so he decides, he, he opens up the, uh, uh, we have a tie-down kit in the back. He takes all of the equipment out of the tie-down kit. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to puke in this, like, cloth bag. 
And uh, so I, I climbed as high as I could, wide open, <laughs> to get out of the turbulence, and flew back to Villeneuve as fast as we could. We made it. And that was a really rough landing, too. Uh, I thought you were going to have to go back around. I was like, today is not the day to go back around. Oh, it's so gusty in that bouncy airplane. Yeah. So we, but I didn't throw up. Uh, well, you, you didn't even throw up afterwards, either. No. Which is really good. Yeah. I felt pretty gross at home, though. Really? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it took a while to go away. Right, wait till you're spin testing. Mm. You're in big trouble. Yeah, when you Jody was spinning. telling me all that. Oh. <laughs> so the, the Kit Fox, you can do spins and whatnot, eh? Uh, we will. So we just test it first. It's experimental, right? So no two airplanes are the same. So we just, as long as we test it properly and, and go through all the proper training procedures, go wear parachutes when we first try the spinning, we'll be fine. You can test it with Jody before Jody takes oh, yeah. me. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll go. I'll test it solo first, and then you guys can go. And then we'll, I'll throw Jody in, or she can go test it solo or whatever. But you, we'll, we'll be careful. You should do it so I can watch. Yeah, we can do it right in the box here. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Yeah, we'll attach the GoPros and, and uh, you can watch the, the footage once we get down. Yeah. We should go spinning with you and me next. Nope. <laughs> He's going to be so sick. I'm going to take gravel before. <laughs> yeah, what's the, what's the standard in Canada? We have to do, you have to do spins in, in Canada for PPL, don't you? No, I think, the, I think for a private, all you have to demonstrate is a spin recovery. And then in the commercial, you have to also do a spin entry. But spin I'm no entry. expert. That's a question for Sophia, and we I, missed that I, episode. I think we covered that in, the, in her inter, in her interview there. I think so too. It's hard for me to remember though. Yeah. So, what else can we talk about? Well, uh, well, to, legally, what are you finding in terms of uh, requirements? So, like insurance, for example, are you? How are you dealing with insurance? Is it was it difficult to find insurance for yeah. us? So that Very was actually question. that was brutal, and that was one of the I don't know what you would call it the almost broke the kit fox train we were i remember scott calling me and i was meandering around home depot and he basically said that you're uninsurable and no one wants to insure us and it's going to take a while to figure this out yeah with hull though hull yeah. coverage like we were only looking for hull coverage because we're in a partnership so if one wrecks the airplane then the other one just then the insurance will pay for the other guy right yep. yeah so it's not possible to do training in canada on a kit fox Nobody will touch you for training or solo or even dual training at all that we could find. Nobody. Gotcha. But you're still able to get not in motion insurance and, and the regular comprehensive, are you? Uh, well, no. So we had to get silver, they call it, which is just liability. Nothing else. So the, the hull value on the airplane is completely uninsured. And so also the just the dual training for me and Jody... We had to do a couple hours with an instructor. And I said, well, what, what instructor is, like, can we go fly Kit Fox with? We, we have to go all the way to Idaho to do two hours of training. So that was a pain. And the insurance was like 2500 bucks a year or something, which was crazy high for a Kit Fox. Like, way more than my Cassidy even. And so, for a similar hull value. And so we, uh, we thought, okay, well, what do we do about this? So we figured, okay... We'll make a deal that uh, we'll both understand that if, if the other guy writes the airplane off, we just walk away from it. And we, so we modified our ownership agreement to agree to those terms. Yeah. So there's a lot more risk in it when it comes to how much money we have in it. But it actually works out fairly well because I've got less of a fraction in it than Calvin does. 
So I have less money at risk than he does, even though he's a higher risk pilot because he's a student, right? He'll, his risk of ground looping is higher than mine, knock on wood. Um, so we made that agreement. So to do training, he can do it now, but it's because the, if we break it, we have to fix it. We're on the hook. And then if he or I dig a big hole in the ground and destroy the airplane, then uh, we're just out that much money and we walk away from that much money. So that way he can still do training in the airplane he wants to do training on. He still got a perfect airplane. He got a good deal on it, we figure. It was it was a good uh, sale. Uh, it wasn't crazy overpriced. Yeah, and so now Calvin's been learning a whole bunch maintenance-wise, which is probably the biggest learning from owning your own airplane. And then uh, learning about how to do journey logs and that kind of thing. That's what's the first thing people ask me. You maintain it yourself? Oh, it's like a car. It's fine. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's one of those things, like, you can maintain your airplane no problem as long as you understand what you're doing before you do it. Yeah. Right? And if you learn the skills before you do it, then it's easy. Yeah. Like, today, Calvin didn't know how to do cotter pins. Now he knows how, and he can now do all the cotter pins in the airplane going forward. <laughs> so it's a, it's a knowledge thing, and so it's not, people are always afraid to touch maintenance on an airplane. It's not that hard at all, especially if it's experimental. Yeah. It's not complicated. Yeah. You want to talk a bit about uh, flight training and how that works when you're an owner instead of a flight training student? Because you're going kind of a different route than um, most flight uh, students. So most students rent the airplanes from the schools and then um, rent just pay 120 or 150 bucks an hour or whatever the, the cost is and then just get it done in the flight club school. Yeah. You don't do that because you're an owner. Right. What are the advantages and disadvantages that you find to doing it that way? Well, to be honest with you, I don't. I haven't seen a disadvantage yet, other than the fact that I had to buy an airplane. So that was really the only disadvantage. Is you, you know, you're out that big chunk of change in the beginning. Yeah, and you pay hanger and. But but honestly, the best thing about it is those rental fees that I would have been paying to a school are now just going towards a maintenance fund um, for our airplane, so that. You know, for example, next year we can put the shock monsters on. and Yeah. That was my biggest, I don't know, reasoning behind wanting to do this. Um, but it was it was challenging to take that final step and actually say, okay, I guess, you know, we're going all in on this. But Yeah, well, it was expensive to start with because you have to make the initial investment. And then all that money that would be normally making you a certain percentage return in the bank or whatever or invested, you don't get, right? Right. It just sits in the airplane. The nice thing about Kit Foxes, though, is they're very um, high-value airplanes right now. So as long as they stay high-value, you'll do okay. Well, and we know, like we know too that there's we'll sell it eventually and maybe get two more. Right, you're right. And, you, and if you do good work and do good maintenance and and people know you and and respect you as a person, then you'll be able to sell it for it'll keep its value, no problem. Yeah. But it's when you start neglecting it, then you start losing value hard. You lose money hard on on aircraft value. Well, and I think that's why um, buying it with you was a smarter decision and not to just buy it on my own because you have all these years of um, being so detail-orientated that it's not, it wasn't risky to buy it with you because it was probably my best option ever, Yeah. right? Yeah, you get the option of Scott's years of experience working on his cassettes, uh, building them, understanding them, fully, fully digging into them, other experimental aircraft, obviously, and now you get uh, you get someone who's basically working for free to maintain the airplane so that he can fly it as well. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, and you know so many people locally as well. Um, yeah, who can help yeah, with like engine like, work and stuff. Like Brad coming down to yeah help us with the pre-buy. Yeah, Brad McDonald is in Lacombe. He's an incredible AME. He really has helped me out a ton with my cassette. I could argue that my red cassette outlaw number nine would not be flying if it wasn't for Brad. So if you're looking for an AME in central Alberta, go talk to Brad McDonald. Or message us and I'll give you his phone number. Yeah, he's awesome. So uh, you probably don't see the other side of the the flight training world where you have to book airplanes because you never did ever book an airplane or rent an airplane. But I'm guessing you'll see the most freedom in having to and being able to take your airplane whenever you want and fly it to Calgary for as long as you want. Yeah. Or any other hangar. Like take it for a week if you want. Yeah. Go flying down south where you can't really do that with a flying club airplane. And also, we, we could not run the river like we did the other night in a flying club airplane. Yeah, they have limitations. You're only allowed to stay yes. above 500 feet or whatever whatever their particular club limitations are. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you can go land on top of mountains with this thing. You could go take off on the grass all day and not wear the tires out with this thing. So all those limitations that flight schools have are now gone now that you have your own. Well, and when it comes to soloing, I just go whenever I'm free. Let Jody know. That's right. Yeah, does Jody have to be on the field when you're when you're doing the solo training? Yeah, she has to. Yeah, she has to supervise still. So the way you she, haven't got there yet. The way she described it to me was that she just has to be a phone call away, and that she doesn't actually have to be at the field. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that that makes sense. To yeah. Me. That you just have to call. Um, she you have to go with her. Your checklist saying you've gone through the no tams, you've gone through the weather, you have a plan, and but she did say that she would talk to the Nemeo Club and just say, hey, can you keep your eyes on this guy? Keep an eye on and see if he bounces. Yeah, but basically she says as long as I'm not, she's not flying and that she's able to communicate like cell phone. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I bet, so yeah, that'll be nice. That, you that can just won't pull be the first time, but maybe yeah. later on. When you're comfortable. Yeah. But I guess the other thing too that's good about that is now that you do, you've done all the maintenance on the airplane, you know all the systems. Yeah. It's way easier for you to find problems and and solve things when you go. Yeah, you're not just you have some unknown mechanical system underneath the cowling like I was when I first started flying. So yeah, that, that's a big benefit too. Yeah, exactly. You'll know this particular bolt how how it should be, how it should always look, and yeah. everything. You'll know that weird noise that, that engine normally makes, and whether you should be worried about it or not. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's exciting. Yeah, like what we did today. Put the brakes in, you know exactly how the brakes should feel and why they are the way they are. Yeah. What the cotter pins look like, how tight they are, where the friction is. Yeah. I've never seen the inside of a Cessna or a Diamond except for, you know, just walking around it, whereas you've now seen every working piece of your, your airplane. Oh, yeah, especially in the engine. I, I do agree, though, that if I was you, I would be struggling hard if I just bought an experimental without knowing anybody or anything. That would have been a bad decision. You, you, you probably couldn't do it. Going in a partnership like that or having somebody able to supervise is, I think, mandatory if you're buying an experimental with no experience. Well, it should be. Like if, you had, if you had like a private license, you'd probably be fine as long as you got help with the maintenance. Yeah. But like you really, like you'd, as, not, as a non-pilot and being so new would be so hard. Yeah, big steep learning curve. Well, what's been the, the most surprising thing for you in, in this whole, whole endeavor? Um, again, as probably the annual and how you have to be so specific to every detail and every step you take. And you don't, I never realized how important that was because I've worked on my car a million times and it always worked after, but 
your life isn't in your hands when you're doing it on your car. So that was pretty eye-opening for a good reason, but and how expensive everything is. Well, it took us <laughs> it took us all day today from 10 until 4ish to install the rudder pedal master cylinders and the pedals on the co-pilot side, which was a grand total of 4 bolts, no, 6 bolts. Yeah. And so with all the reaming and drilling and taking off paint and and trimming and fitting and pressing and everything else that was going on calvin said to me this afternoon man i did not think it would take all day to put those two things in i thought i would have thought you were crazy if you told me that well i thought i thought we were going to be able to finish the doors today too (laughs) we didn't even start on the doors and and the the brakes aren't even plumbed in yet they're just they're just sitting there they're not (laughs) not even done yeah there's two dry master cylinders in the (laughs) co-pilot side so yeah that, that that surprised me too when i started working on my on my cassette yeah but you're in a way better spot here, though. When I first started my cast, I, had, I was in an unheated hangar doing the, the annual in an unheated hangar in Josephberg in the pitch black. Mm. Yeah. Like, I used to have a popcorn heater off a propane tank yeah. that I used to have to turn on and preheat my tools, hanging them on the heater before I could touch them. Because they're all minus 20 steel. I'm spoiled out here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Polished epoxy floors, <laughs> heated, tons of space. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be posting a video of a, of a walk through the whole hangar here in a few days. Yeah, that's coming soon. So I guess you've never flown a nose wheel. Nope. Is the tail wheel what you expected it to be? Now that you understand ground loops and stuff? Oh my goodness. It is. I just can't get over the fact that you can't see where you're going when you're taxiing, right? Yeah. And that landing is terrifying, really. Well, it's because you can't see out the front. No. We should put a camera out the front. Well, and what's what's funnier is it's going to get worse when we put the big tires on and yeah. the tall gear. It's going to yeah. get way worse. Like, it's already more blind than my cassette is. But I'll have a couple years under my belt, so hopefully that'll be okay. Yeah, and it'll. you're going to take a lot longer than the average 172 student will to solo. Because there's all it. these extra skills you got to add on to it, including a kind of a hot tailwheel airplane, a kit, a kit flux, uh, and the tailwheel component, which is usually eight hours for an experienced private pilot and you can't see out the front and it's got all these other uh, unique features like flap runs and all these other weird things yeah and it's experimental so we have to do all this testing for spin testing and everything too yeah but once you're done that you're gonna have a whole lot more experience and you might might be better at flying than the standard trike gear guy well i hope so that's what scott says well he could get in a 172 after after he gets his private on the kit fox he'll get in a 172 right away and go fly it with no help so it'll Even be landing easy. it. Oh. Easy. Like yeah, they're pretty easy I feel awkward really? in a yeah. nose wheel. So if you learn on a tailwheel, man, you're set. Alright, I'll take your word for it. Oh yes. So how'd you get to, how'd you convince your girlfriend to let you buy an airplane? No, there's a good question. Oh, okay. So I didn't even convince her. Her, her name's Katie, by I, the way. I just went and did it and kind of said sorry after and well, what, what did she think? She's like, okay, well, I'm buying a horse. <laughs> Did she buy a horse yet? No, thank God. But Oh, you're in trouble it, now. It's about the same price, so... If she listens to this podcast, you're in trouble. I know. I hope she doesn't. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was it was a big decision because we just bought our, our uh, current house that we're in, and we still have the condo where Scott is, but luckily we have some renters for another couple years, but... It was a big decision to make, and I think I impulse made that decision, but it in this case, it turned out. So far, it's turned so out. So far, it's turned out, yeah. Yeah. 
We haven't ground looped the airplane yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, would you have uh, made any made any different different changes? Picked a different plane or or anything? No, I think we got pretty lucky. Um, the plane has a great panel, great tires, great gear um, for what we're doing, and we haven't put any serious money into it. We've only really put um, cosmetic type things into it. Oh. I think he's going to storm outside. You guys might hear it in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, no, I wouldn't pick another plane. I love it. Yep. Except we got to change the seats. They're too big. And yeah, the seats are really thick. Like homemade. I think, I think Bruce had them built, and they <laughs> still kind of smell like a barn. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get there. Yeah. So we got new seats on order, but Kiflux is like three months lead time on seats right now, which is crazy. We ordered suede. Duh. So we'll be uh, we'll be riding in style shortly, and then with the doors, man, that'll be perfect airplane. Yeah, and the gear next year. Oh yeah, then we have like all the mods in it. Yeah. And then there's just a little bit of like carbon work here and there to do, clean up things, that kind of thing. Maybe put a new uh, turtle deck on. Man, it's hammering rain outside. If you guys can hear that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess the the key things are if you buy an experimental, get help. And if you can get a, a partnership deal with somebody that's experienced, do it. Do it. Um, experimentals are, are much cheaper than certified. Their operating costs are much cheaper. So with the work we've done, we probably would have spent 15,000, 10, 15,000 in labor. Yeah, for sure. On it. Uh, at 100 bucks an hour, easy. Uh, so that's all free, obviously. It's just our time. Make sure you do a good quality control check pre-buy before you buy an experimental. If you don't know what you're doing, get somebody that knows what they're looking at. Well, how do you find somebody to do a pre-buy on an experimental? I know, I know certain uh, AMEs won't, uh, won't look at experimentals. Well, that was what was lucky for me was that I knew Scott and Scott knew someone else. Whereas if I had gone in on that my, on my own, what do I look in the phone book? No, it, Brian's right. A lot of people, a lot of AMEs just want to follow like the manuals. In an experimental, there is no maintenance manual. So you can't just do... Uh, a pre-buy like you'd normally do it on a Cessna. So you have to find the right guy to do it too that knows what he's looking at. Somebody that's experienced with experimentals and home builds. And that you kind of have to know somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. And know somebody in the industry. So it all comes back to know, to having somebody involved in, in what you want to do that knows what they're looking at. So um, if you... I guess it really all comes back to that. If you don't know what you're doing, find somebody that knows that can help you. Don't do it until you get help. So you know what you're looking at. Because it's not the same as buying a car. Yeah, you got to learn first <laughs> and do it second. You can't do it the other way around, learn while you're doing it. Yeah. You only get one shot at life, and if you leave a bolt out and kill yourself or crash and hurt yourself permanently, you don't get a second chance at that. So we can't take chances either, yeah, especially not, with experimentals. Exactly. It's not like a car where, you know, worst case your engine shuts off or you lose a wheel or something driving down the road and you skid to a stop. No. Yeah. You could break your elevator or, or an aileron or something have no control right yeah that, that that's the important part is knowing on experimentals what you're looking at but that, like from a first plane perspective a kit box is probably you want to get a slow airplane that's easy to fly and most bush planes are they'd be they're fairly ideal first airplanes and they're simple and affordable and probably avoid something like a carbon cup just because it's so expensive yeah so hard to work on especially learning with the experimental you're you're doing fine like you're learning all the maintenance techniques and practices and procedures while doing your private which is going perfectly fine 
Like, it's not hard to do that. And if you just hand it off to an AME, you could say, well, one magneto runs rough. But you have no idea why it's running rough. Whereas if you're actually working on your own airplane, understand timing and learn how a magneto works, you can actually just go fix it yourself. Yeah. Versus relying on the AME to try and find out the problem and fix it for you. Spend, you know, four hours diagnosing, four hours fixing it, another four hours diagnosing it the second time when you didn't That's get right. it right. Yeah. That's right. And so in the U.S. too, um, AMEs in Canada are called AMEs. In the U.S. they're called A&Ps. So if you hear say AME, it's just the Canadian version of AMP. Well, what do you think? Wrap it up here? Yeah, wrap it up while the uh, rain is killing us. Yeah. I know. Drive home through it, get a car wash. Yep, free car wash. So. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for coming and talking to us. No worries. It'll be fun to come back on when uh, after I've finished and see what the differences are. I'm thinking after spin testing. Just, <laughs> or a, or just after right first, after. Yeah, after your first peak bag. Or first solo. Oh, there's a good one. Yeah, we should do right before and right after first solo. Yeah, I was thinking do one after the first solo to see uh, see how you're feeling after that. And yeah. I want I want it the like, su- your taxi back and we'll have the setup ready and we'll we'll <laughs> talk to you then, and then one right after you get licensed. So yeah, Just change my tra- change my drawers first. But what? oh man, we should we should video camera his the the kid fox like crazy for his first solo. I think I'm gonna put a GoPro in. Yep. Dude, we'll put three in for you. Yeah, I I got one. Scott's Edited. got one. And got oh, one. there's thunder. That's the first thunder all year. Guess you're not going up, hey? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not flying. Okay. Thank you.